0: section nine of rome this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. rome by emil zola translated by ernest visitelli chapter five part one on the following day narcisse haber came in great worry to tell pierre that monsignor gamba del Zopo complained of being unwell and asked for a delay of two or three days before receiving the young priest, and considering the matter of his audience. Pierre was thus reduced to inaction, for he dared not make any attempt elsewhere in view of seeing the Pope. He had been so frightened by Nanni and others that he feared he might jeopardise everything by inconsiderate endeavours. And so he began to visit Rome in order to occupy his leisure. His first visit was for the ruins of the Palatine going out alone one clear morning at eight o'clock he presented himself at the entrance in the Via san teodoro an iron gateway flanked by the lodges of the keepers one of the latter at once offered his services and though pierre would have preferred to roam at will following the bent of his dream he somehow did not like to refuse the offer of this man who spoke french very distinctly and smiled in a very good-natured way he was a squatly built little man a former soldier some sixty years of age and his square-cut ruddy face was barred by thick white moustaches then you will please follow me monsieur l'abbé said he i can see that you are french monsieur l'abbé i'm a piedmontese myself but i know the french well enough i was with them at solferino yes yes whatever people may say one can't forget old friendships here this way please to the right raising his eyes pierre had just perceived the line of cypresses edging the plateau of the palatine on the side of the tiber and in the delicate blue atmosphere the intense greenery of these trees showed like a black fringe they alone attracted the eye the slope of a dusty dirty gray stretched out bare and devastated dotted by a few bushes among which peeped fragments of ancient walls all was instinct with the ravaged leprous sadness of a spot handed over to excavation and where only men of learning could wax enthusiastic the palaces of tiberius caligula and the flavians are up above resumed the guide we must keep them for the end and go round nevertheless he took a few steps to the left and pausing before an excavation a sort of grotto in the hillside exclaimed this is the lupercal den where the wolf suckled romulus and remus just here at the entry used to stand the ruminal fig tree which sheltered the twins pierre could not restrain a smile so convinced was the tone in which the old soldier gave these explanations proud as he was of all the ancient glory and wont to regard the wildest legends as indisputable facts however when the worthy man pointed out some vestiges of roma quadrata remnants of walls which really seemed to date from the foundation of the city pierre began to feel interested and a first touch of emotion made his heart beat this emotion was certainly not due to any beauty of scene for he merely beheld a few courses of tufa blocks placed one upon the other and uncemented but a past which had been dead for seven and twenty centuries seemed to rise up before him and those crumbling blackened blocks the foundation of such a mighty edifice of power and splendour acquired extraordinary majesty continuing their inspection they went on skirting the hillside the outbuildings of the palaces must have descended to this point fragments of porticoes fallen beams columns and friezes set up afresh edged the rugged path which wound through wild weeds suggesting a neglected cemetery and the guide repeated the words which he had used day by day for ten years past continuing to enunciate suppositions as facts and giving a name a destination a history to every one of the fragments The house of augustus he said at last pointing towards some masses of earth and rubbish thereupon pierre unable to distinguish anything ventured to inquire where do you mean oh said the man it seems that the walls were still to be seen at the end of the last century but it was entered from the other side from the sacred way on this side there was a huge balcony which overlooked the circus maximus so that one could view the sports however as you can see the greater part of the palace is still buried under that big garden up above the garden of the Villa Mills. when there's money for fresh excavations it will be found again together with the temple of apollo and the shrine of vesta which accompanied it turning to the left he next entered the stadium the arena erected for foot racing which stretched beside the palace of augustus and the priest's interest was now once more awakened It was not that he found himself in presence of well-preserved and monumental remains for not a column had remained erect and only the right-hand walls were still standing but the entire plan of the building had been traced with the goals at either end the porticus round the course and the colossal imperial tribune which after being on the left annexed to the house of augustus had afterwards opened on the right fitting into the palace of septimius severus and while pierre looked on all the scattered remnants His guide went on chattering, furnishing the most copious and precise information, and declaring that the gentlemen who directed the excavations had mentally reconstructed the stadium in each and every particular, and were even preparing a most exact plan of it, showing all the columns in their proper order and the statues in their niches, and actually specifying the diverse sorts of marble which had covered the walls. Oh, the directors are quite at ease, the old soldier eventually added with an air of infinite satisfaction. There will be nothing for the germans to pounce on here they won't be allowed to set things topsy-turvy as they did at the forum where everybody's at sea since they came along with their wonderful science pierre a frenchman smiled and his interest increased when by broken steps and wooden bridges thrown over gaps he followed the guide into the great ruins of the palace of severus rising on the southern point of the palatine this palace had overlooked the appian way and the campagna as far as the eye could reach nowadays almost the only remains are the substructures the subterranean halls contrived under the arches of the terraces by which the plateau of the hill was enlarged and yet these dismantled substructures suffice to give some idea of the triumphant palace which they once upheld so huge and powerful have they remained in their indestructible massiveness nearby arose the famous Septizonium, the tower with the seven tiers of arcades which only finally disappeared in the sixteenth century one of the palace terraces yet juts out upon cyclopean arches and from it the view is splendid but all the rest is a commingling of massive yet crumbling walls gaping depths whose ceilings have fallen endless corridors and vast halls of doubtful destination well cared for by the new administration swept and cleansed of weeds the ruins have lost their romantic wildness and assumed an aspect of bare and mournful grandeur however flashes of living sunlight often gild the ancient walls penetrate by their breaches into the black halls and animate with their dazzlement the mute melancholy of all this dead splendour now exhumed from the earth in which it slumbered for centuries over the old ruddy masonry stripped of its pompous marble covering is the purple mantle of the sunlight draping the whole with imperial glory once more for more than two hours already pierre had been walking on and yet he still had to visit all the earlier palaces on the north and east of the plateau we must go back said the guide the gardens of the villa mills and the convent of san bonaventura stop the way we shall only be able to pass on this side when the excavations have made a clearance ah monsieur l'abb if you had walked over the palatine merely some fifty years ago i have seen some plans of that time there were only some vineyards and little gardens with hedges then a real campagna where not a soul was to be met and to think that all these palaces were sleeping underneath pierre followed him and after again passing the house of augustus they ascended the slope and reached the vast flavian palace still half buried by the neighbouring villa and composed of a great number of halls large and small on the nature of which scholars are still arguing the aula regia or throne room the basilica or hall of justice the triclinium or dining room and the peristilium seem certainties but for all the rest and especially the small chambers of the private part of the structure only more or less fanciful conjectures can be offered moreover not a wall is entire merely foundations peep out of the ground mutilated bases describing the plan of the edifice the only ruin preserved as if by miracle is the house on a lower level which some assert to have been that of livia a house which seems very small beside all the huge palaces and where are three halls comparatively intact with mural paintings of mythological scenes flowers and fruits still wonderfully fresh as for the palace of tiberius not one of its stones can be seen its remains lie buried beneath a lovely public garden whilst of the neighboring palace of caligula overhanging the forum there are only some huge substructures akin to those of the house of severus buttresses lofty arcades which upheld the palace vast basements so to say where the praetorians were posted and gorged themselves with continual junketings and thus this lofty plateau dominating the city merely offered some scarcely recognizable vestiges to the view stretches of gray bare soil turned up by the pick and dotted with fragments of old walls and it needed a real effort of scholarly imagination to conjure up the ancient imperial splendor which once had triumphed there Nevertheless, Pierre's guide, with quiet conviction, persisted in his explanations, pointing to empty space as though the edifices still rose before him. "'Here,' said he, "'we are in the Aria Palatina. Yonder, you see, is the façade of Domitian's palace, and there you have that of Caligula's palace, while on turning round the temple of Jupiter-Stator is in front of you. The sacred way came up as far as here, and passed under the Porta Mugonia, one of the three gates of primitive Rome.' he paused and pointed to the northwest portion of the height you will have noticed he resumed that the caesars didn't build yonder and that was evidently because they had to respect some very ancient monuments dating from before the foundation of the city and greatly venerated by the people there stood the temple of victory built by evander and his arcadians the Lupercal grotto which i showed you and the humble hut of romulus constructed of reeds and clay oh everything has been found again monsieur l'abbé and in spite of all that the germans say there isn't the slightest doubt of it then quite abruptly like a man suddenly remembering the most interesting thing of all he exclaimed ah to wind up we'll just go to see the subterranean gallery where caligula was murdered thereupon they descended into a long crypto porticus through the breaches of which the sun now cast bright rays some ornaments of stucco and fragments of mosaic work are yet to be seen still the spot remains mournful and desolate well fitted for tragic horror the old soldier's voice had become graver as he related how caligula on returning from the palatine games had been minded to descend all alone into this gallery to witness certain sacred dances which some youths from asia were practicing there and then it was that the gloom gave cassius Caireus, the chief of the conspirators an opportunity to deal him the first thrust in the abdomen howling with pain the emperor sought to flee but the assassins his creatures his dearest friends rushed upon him threw him down and dealt him blow after blow whilst he mad with rage and fright filled the dim deaf gallery with the howling of a slaughtered beast when he had expired silence fell once more and the frightened murderers fled The classical visit to the Palatine was now over, and when Pierre came up into the light again, he wished to rid himself of his guide and remain alone in the pleasant dreamy garden on the summit of the height. For three hours he had been tramping about with the guide's voice buzzing in his ears. The worthy man was now talking of his friendship for France and relating the Battle of Magenta in great detail. He smiled as he took the piece of silver which Pierre offered him, and then started on the Battle of Solferino. Indeed it seemed impossible to stop him when fortunately a lady came up to ask for some information and thereupon he went off with her good evening monsieur l'abbaye he said you can go down by way of caligula's palace delightful was pierre's relief when he was at last able to rest for a moment on one of the marble seats in the garden there were but few clumps of trees cypresses box-trees palms and some fine evergreen oaks but the latter sheltering the seat cast a dark shade of exquisite freshness around the charm of the spot was also largely due to its dreamy solitude to the low rustle which seemed to come from that ancient soil saturated with resounding history here formerly had been the pleasure grounds of the villa farnese which still exists though greatly damaged and the grace of the renaissance seems to linger here its breath passing caressingly through the shiny foliage of the old evergreen oaks you are as it were enveloped by the soul of the past an ethereal conglomeration of visions and overhead is wafted the straying breath of innumerable generations buried beneath the sod after a time however pierre could no longer remain seated so powerful was the attraction of rome scattered all around that august summit so he rose and approached the balustrade of a terrace and beneath him appeared the forum and beyond it the capitoline hill to the eye the latter now only presented a commingling of gray buildings lacking both grandeur and beauty on the summit one saw the rear of the palace of the senator flat with little windows and surmounted by a high square campanile the large bare rusty-looking walls hid the church of santa maria in Araceli, and the spot where the temple of the capitoline jove had formerly stood radiant in all its royalty on the left some ugly houses rose terrace-wise upon the slope of monte caprino where goats were pastured in the middle ages while the few fine trees in the grounds of the caffarelli palace the present german embassy set some greenery above the ancient Tarpalan rock now scarcely to be found lost hidden as it is by buttress walls yet this was the mount of the capital the most glorious of the seven hills with its citadel and its temple the temple to which universal dominion was promised the saint peters of pagan rome this indeed was the hill steep on the side of the forum and a precipice on that of the campus martius where the thunder of jupiter fell where in the dimmest of the far-off ages the asylum of romulus rose with its sacred oaks a spot of infinite savage mystery here later were preserved the public documents of roman grandeur inscribed on tablets of brass hither climbed the heroes of the trebly hundred triumphs and here the emperors became gods erect in statues of marble and nowadays the eye inquires wonderingly how so much history and so much glory can have had for their scene so small a space such a rugged jumbled pile of paltry buildings a molehill looking no bigger no loftier than a hamlet perched between two valleys then another surprise for pierre was the forum starting from the capitol and stretching out below the palatine a narrow square close pressed by the neighbouring hills A hollow where rome in growing had been compelled to rear edifice close to edifice till all stifled for lack of breathing space it was necessary to dig very deep some fifty feet to find the venerable republican soil and now all you see is a long clean livid trench cleared of ivy and bramble and where the fragments of paving the bases of columns and the piles of foundations appear like bits of bone level with the ground the basilica julia entirely mapped out looks like an architect's ground plan on that side the arch of septimius severus alone rears itself aloft virtually intact whilst of the temple of vespasian only a few isolated columns remain still standing as if by miracle amidst the general downfall soaring with a proud elegance with sovereign audacity of equilibrium so slender and so gilded into the blue heavens the column of phocas is also erect and you see some portions of the rostra fitted together out of fragments discovered nearby but if the eye seeks a sensation of extraordinary vastness it must travel beyond the three columns of the temple of Castor and pollux beyond the vestiges of the house of the vestals beyond the temple of faustina in which the christian church of san lorenzo has so composedly installed itself and even beyond the round temple of romulus to light upon the basilica of constantine with its three colossal gaping archways from the Palatine they look like porches built for a nation of giants, so massive that a fallen fragment resembled some huge rock hurled by a whirlwind from a mountain summit. And there, in that illustrious, narrow, overflowing forum, the history of the greatest of nations held for centuries, from the legendary time of the Sabine women, reconciling their relatives and their ravishers, to that of the proclamation of public liberty, so slowly wrung from the patricians by the plebeians. Was not the forum at once the market, the exchange, the tribunal, the open-air hall of public meeting? The Gracchi there defended the cause of the humble. Scylla there set up the lists of those whom he proscribed. Cicero there spoke, and there, against the rostra, his bleeding head was hung. Then, under the emperors, the old renown was dimmed. The centuries buried the monuments and temples with such piles of dust that all that the Middle Ages could do was to turn the spot into a cattle market respect has come back once more a respect which violates tombs which is full of feverish curiosity and science which is dissatisfied with mere hypotheses which loses itself amidst this historical soil where generations rise one above the other and hesitates between the fifteen or twenty restorations of the forum that have been planned on paper each of them as plausible as the other but to the mere passer-by who is not a professional scholar and has not recently re-perused the history of rome the details have no significance all he sees on this searched and scoured spot is a city's cemetery where old exhumed stones are whitening and whence rises the intense sadness that envelopes dead nations pierre however noting here and there fragments of the sacred way now turning now running down and now ascending with their pavement of silex indented by the chariot wheels thought of the triumphs of the ascent of the triumpher so sorely shaken as his chariot jolted over that rough pavement of glory but the horizon expanded towards the southeast and beyond the arches of titus and constantine he perceived the colosseum ah that colossus only one half or so of which has been destroyed by time as with the stroke of a mighty scythe it rises in its enormity and majesty like a stone lace work With hundreds of empty bays agape against the blue of heaven there is a world of halls stairs landings and passages a world where one loses oneself amidst death-like silence and solitude the furrowed tiers of seats eaten into by the atmosphere are like shapeless steps leading down into some old extinct crater some natural circus excavated by the force of the elements in indestructible rock the hot suns of eighteen hundred years have baked and scorched this ruin which has reverted to a state of nature bare and golden-brown like a mountainside, since it has been stripped of its vegetation the flora which once made it like a virgin forest and what an evocation when the mind sets flesh and blood and life again on all that dead osseous framework fills the circus with the ninety thousand spectators which it could hold marshals the games and the combats of the arena gathers a whole civilization together from the emperor and the dignitaries to the surging plebeian sea all aglow with the agitation and brilliancy of an impassioned people assembled under the ruddy reflection of the giant purple vellum and then yet further on the horizon were other cyclopean ruins the baths of caracalla standing there like relics of a race of giants long since vanished from the world halls extravagantly and inexplicably spacious and lofty vestibules large enough for an entire population a frigidarium where five hundred people could swim together a tepidarium and a calidarium on the same proportions born of a wild craving for the huge and then the terrific massiveness of the structures the thickness of the piles of brickwork such as no feudal castle ever knew and in addition the general immensity which makes passing visitors look like lost ants Such an extraordinary riot of the great and the mighty that one wonders for what men, for what multitudes, this monstrous edifice was reared. Today, you would say, a mass of rocks in the rough, thrown from some height for building the abode of titans. And as Pierre gazed, he became more and more immersed in the limitless past which encompassed him. On all sides history rose up like a surging sea. Those bluey plains on the north and west were ancient Etruria, those jagged crests on the east were the Sabine mountains, while southward the Alban mountains and Latium spread out in the streaming gold of the sunshine. Alba Longa was there, and so was Monte Cavo, with its crown of old trees and the convent which has taken the place of the ancient temple of Jupiter. Then beyond the Forum, beyond the capital, the greater part of Rome stretched out, whilst behind Pierre, on the margin of the Tiber, was the Janiculum and a voice seemed to come from the whole city a voice which told him of rome's eternal life resplendent with past greatness he remembered just enough of what he had been taught at school to realize where he was he knew just what everyone knows of rome with no pretension to scholarship and it was more particularly his artistic temperament which awoke within him and gathered warmth from the flame of memory the present had disappeared and the ocean of the past was still rising buoying him up carrying him away and then his mind involuntarily pictured a resurrection instinct with life the gray dismal palatine raised like some accursed city suddenly became animated peopled crowned with palaces and temples there had been the cradle of the eternal city founded by romulus on that summit overlooking the tiber there assuredly the seven kings of its two and a half centuries of monarchical rule had dwelt enclosed within high strong walls which had but three gateways then the five centuries of republican sway spread out, the greatest, the most glorious of all the centuries, those which brought the Italic peninsula and finally the known world under Roman dominion. During those victorious years of social and warlike struggle, Rome grew and peopled the seven hills, and the Palatine became but a venerable cradle with legendary temples, and was even gradually invaded by private residences. But at last, Caesar, the incarnation of the power of his race, after gaul and after Pharsalia triumphed in the name of the whole roman people having completed the colossal task by which the five following centuries of imperialism were to profit with a pompous splendor and a rush of every appetite and then augustus could ascend to power glory had reached its climax millions of gold were waiting to be filched from the depths of the provinces and the imperial gala was to begin in the world's capital before the eyes of the dazzled and subjected nations augustus had been born on the palatine and after actium had given him the empire he set his pride in reigning from the summit of that sacred mount venerated by the people he bought up private houses and there built his palace with luxurious splendor an atrium upheld by four pilasters and eight columns a peristilium encompassed by fifty-six ionic columns private apartments all around and all in marble a profusion of marble brought at great cost from foreign lands and of the brightest hues resplendent like gems and he lodged himself with the gods building near his own abode a large temple of apollo and a shrine of vesta in order to ensure himself divine and eternal sovereignty and then the seed of the imperial palaces was sown they were to spring up grow and swarm and cover the entire mount ah the all-powerfulness of augustus his four and forty years of total absolute superhuman power such as no despot has known, even in his dreams, he had taken to himself every title, united every magistracy in his person, imperator and consul, he commanded the armies and exercised executive power, proconsul, he was supreme in the provinces, perpetual censor and princeps, he reigned over the senate, tribune, he was the master of the people, and formerly called Octavius, he had caused himself to be declared Augustus, sacred god among men having his temples and his priests worshipped in his lifetime like a divinity deigning to visit the earth and finally he had resolved to be supreme pontiff annexing religious to civil power and thus by a stroke of genius attaining to the most complete dominion to which man can climb as the supreme pontiff could not reside in a private house he declared his abode to be state property as the supreme pontiff could not leave the vicinity of the temple of vesta he built a temple to that goddess near his own dwelling, leaving the guardianship of the ancient altar below the palatine to the Vestal Virgins. He spared no effort, for he well realized that human omnipotence, the mastery of mankind and the world, lay in that reunion of sovereignty, in being both king and priest, emperor and pope. All the sap of a mighty race, all the victories achieved, and all the favors of fortune yet to be garnered, blossomed forth in Augustus. In a unique splendour which was never again to shed such brilliant radiance he was really the master of the world amidst the conquered and pacified nations encompassed by immortal glory in literature and in art in him would seem to have been satisfied the old intense ambition of his people the ambition which it had pursued through centuries of patient conquest to become the people king the blood of rome the blood of augustus at last coruscated in the sunlight in the purple of empire And the blood of Augustus, of the divine, triumphant, absolute sovereign of bodies and souls, of the man in whom seven centuries of national pride had culminated, was to descend through the ages, through an innumerable posterity, with a heritage of boundless pride and ambition. For it was fatal. The blood of Augustus was bound to spring into life once more and pulsate in the veins of all the successive masters of Rome, ever haunting them with the dream of ruling the whole world. And later on after the decline and fall when power had once more become divided between the king and the priest the popes their hearts burning with the red devouring blood of their great forerunner had no other passion no other policy through the centuries than that of attaining to civil dominion to the totality of human power but augustus being dead his palace having been closed and consecrated pierre saw that of tiberius spring up from the soil it had stood where his feet now rested where the beautiful evergreen oaks sheltered him he pictured it with courts porticoes and halls both substantial and grand despite the gloomy bent of the emperor who betook himself far from rome to live amongst informers and debauchees with his heart and brain poisoned by power to the point of crime and most extraordinary insanity then the palace of caligula followed an enlargement of that of tiberius with arcades set up to increase its extent and a bridge thrown over the forum to the Capitol in order that the prince might go thither at his ease to converse with jove whose son he claimed to be and sovereignty also rendered this one ferocious a madman with omnipotence to do as he listed then after claudius nero not finding the palatine large enough seized upon the delightful gardens climbing the esquiline in order to set up his golden house a dream of sumptuous immensity which he could not complete and the ruins of which disappeared in the troubles following the death of this monster whom pride demented next in eighteen months galba otho and vitellius fell one upon the other in mire and in blood the purple converting them also into imbeciles and monsters gorged like unclean beasts at the trough of imperial enjoyment and afterwards came the flavians at first a respite with common sense and human kindness Vespasian next Titus, who built but little on the Palatine, but then Domitian, in whom the sombre madness of omnipotence burst forth anew amidst a regime of fear and spying, idiotic atrocities and crimes, debauchery contrary to nature, and building enterprises born of insane vanity instinct with a desire to outvie the temples of the gods. The palace of Domitian, parted by a lane from that of Tiberius, arose colossal-like, a palace of fairyland. There was the hall of audience with its throne of gold its sixteen columns of phrygian and numidian marble and its eight niches containing colossal statues there were the hall of justice the vast dining room the peristilium, the sleeping apartments where granite porphyry and alabaster overflowed carved and decorated by the most famous artists and lavished on all sides in order to dazzle the world and finally many years later a last palace was added to all the others that of septimius severus again a building of pride with arches supporting lofty halls terraced stories towers o'ertopping the roofs a perfect babylonian pile rising up at the extreme point of the mount in view of the appian way so that the emperor's compatriots those from the province of africa where he was born might on reaching the horizon marvel at his fortune and worship him in his glory and now pierre beheld all those palaces which he had conjured up around him resuscitated resplendent in the full sunlight they were as if linked together parted merely by the narrowest of passages in order that not an inch of that precious summit might be lost they had sprouted thickly like the monstrous fluorescence of strength power and unbridled pride which satisfied itself at the cost of millions bleeding the whole world for the enjoyment of one man and in truth there was but one palace altogether a palace enlarged as soon as one emperor died and was placed among the deities and another shunning the consecrated pile where possibly the shadow of death frightened him experienced an imperious need to build a house of his own and perpetuate in everlasting stone the memory of his reign all the emperors were seized with this building craze it was like a disease which the very throne seemed to carry from one occupant to another with growing intensity A consuming desire to excel all predecessors by thicker and higher walls by a more and more wonderful profusion of marbles columns and statues and among all these princes there was the idea of a glorious survival of leaving a testimony of their greatness to dazzled and stupefied generations of perpetuating themselves by marvels which would not perish but forever weigh heavily upon the earth when their own light ashes should long since have been swept away by the winds and thus the palatine became but the venerable base of a monstrous edifice a thick vegetation of adjoining buildings each new pile being like a fresh eruption of feverish pride while the whole now showing the snowy brightness of white marble and now the glowing hues of coloured marble ended by crowning rome and the world with the most extraordinary and most insolent abode of sovereignty whether palace temple basilica or cathedral that omnipotence and dominion have ever reared under the heavens but death lurked beneath this excess of strength and glory. Seven hundred and thirty years of monarchy and republic had sufficed to make Rome great, and in five centuries of imperial sway the people-king was to be devoured down to its last muscles. There was the immensity of the territory, the more distant provinces gradually pillaged and exhausted. There was the fisk consuming everything, digging the pit of fatal bankruptcy. And there was the degeneration of the people, poisoned by the scenes of the circus and the arena fallen to the sloth and debauchery of their masters the caesars while mercenaries fought the foe and tilled the soil already at the time of constantine rome had a rival byzantium disruption followed with honorius and then some ten emperors sufficed for decomposition to be complete for the bones of the dying prey to be picked clean the end coming with romulus augustulus the sorry creature whose name is so to say a mockery of the whole glorious history a buffet for both the founder of rome and the founder of the empire the palaces the colossal assemblage of walls stories terraces and gaping roofs still remained on the deserted palatine many ornaments and statues however had already been removed to byzantium and the empire having become christian had afterwards closed the temples and extinguished the fire of vesta whilst yet respecting the ancient Palladium. But in the 5th century the barbarians rush upon Rome, sack and burn it, and carry the spoils spared by the flames away in their chariots. As long as the city was dependent on Byzantium, a custodian of the imperial palaces remained there watching over the Palatine. Then all fades and crumbles in the night of the Middle Ages. It would really seem that the popes then slowly took the place of the Caesars, succeeding them both in their abandoned marble halls and their ever-subsisting passion for domination some of them assuredly dwelt in the palace of septimius severus a council of the church was held in the septizonium and later on Galatius the second was elected in a neighboring monastery on the sacred mount it was as if augustus were again rising from the tomb once more master of the world with a sacred college of cardinals resuscitating the roman senate in the twelfth century the Sepitzonium belonged to some Benedictine monks, and was sold by them to the powerful Frangipani family, who fortified it as they had already fortified the Colosseum and the arches of Constantine and Titus, thus forming a vast fortress round about the venerable cradle of the city. And the violent deeds of civil war and the ravages of invasion swept by like whirlwinds, throwing down the walls, raising the palaces and towers. And afterwards successive generations invaded the ruins installed themselves in them by right of trover and conquest turned them into cellars store places for forage and stables for mules kitchen gardens were formed vines were planted on the spots where fallen soil had covered the mosaics of the imperial halls all around nettles and brambles grew up and ivy preyed on the overturned porticoes till there came a day when the colossal assemblage of palaces and temples which marble was to have rendered eternal, seemed to dive beneath the dust, to disappear under the surging soil and vegetation which impassive nature threw over it. And then, in the hot sunlight, among the wild flowerets, only big buzzing flies remained, whilst herds of goats strayed in freedom through the throne room of Domitian and the fallen sanctuary of Apollo. A great shudder passed through Pierre. To think of so much strength, pride and grandeur, and such rapid ruin, A world forever swept away he wondered how entire palaces yet peopled by admirable statuary could thus have been gradually buried without anyone thinking of protecting them it was no sudden catastrophe which had swallowed up those masterpieces subsequently to be disinterred with exclamations of admiring wonder they had been drowned as it were caught progressively by the legs the waist and the neck till at last the head had sunk beneath the rising tide and how could one explain that generations had heedlessly witnessed such things without thought of putting forth a helping hand it would seem as if at a given moment a black curtain were suddenly drawn across the world as if mankind began afresh with a new and empty brain which needed moulding and furnishing rome had become depopulated men ceased to repair the ruins left by fire and sword the edifices which by their very immensity had become useless were utterly neglected allowed to crumble and fall and then too the new religion everywhere hunted down the old one stole its temples overturned its gods earthy deposits probably completed the disaster there were it is said both earthquakes and inundations and the soil was ever rising the alluvia of the young christian world buried the ancient pagan society and after the pillaging of the temples the theft of the bronze roofs and marble columns the climax came with the filching of the stones torn from the Colosseum and the theatre of marcellus with the pounding of the statuary and sculpture work thrown into kilns to procure the lime needed for the new monuments of catholic rome it was nearly one o'clock and pierre awoke as from a dream the sun rays were streaming in a golden rain between the shiny leaves of the evergreen oaks above him and down below rome lay dozing overcome by the great heat then he made up his mind to leave the garden and went stumbling over the rough pavement of the Clevus victorii his mind still haunted by blinding visions to complete his day he had resolved to visit the old appian way during the afternoon and unwilling to return to the via julia he lunched at a suburban tavern in a large dim room where alone with the buzzing flies he lingered for more than two hours awaiting the sinking of the sun Ah. That Appian way, that ancient queen of the high roads, crossing the Campagna in a long straight line with rows of proud tombs on either hand. To Pierre it seemed like a triumphant prolongation of the Palatine. He there found the same passion for splendour and domination, the same craving to eternize the memory of Roman greatness in marble and daylight. Oblivion was vanquished, the dead refused to rest, and remained forever erect among the living on either side of that road which was traversed by multitudes from the entire world the deified images of those who were now but dust still gazed on the passers-by with empty eyes the inscriptions still spoke proclaiming names and titles in former times the rows of sepulchres must have extended without interruption along all the straight level miles between the tomb of cecilia metella and that of casale rotondo forming an elongated cemetery where the powerful and wealthy competed as to who should leave the most colossal and lavishly decorated mausoleum such indeed was the craving for survival the passion for pompous immortality the desire to deify death by lodging it in temples whereof the present-day monumental splendor of the genoese campo santo and the roman campo verano is so to say a remote inheritance and what a vision it was to picture all the tremendous tombs on the right and left of the glorious pavement which the legions trod on their return from the conquest of the world that tomb of cecilia metella with its bond so huge its walls so thick that the middle ages transformed it into the battlemented keep of a fortress and then all the tombs which follow the modern structures erected in order that the marble fragments discovered might be set in place the old blocks of brick and concrete despoiled of their sculptured work and rising up like seared rocks yet still suggesting their original shapes as shrines cippi and sarcophagi there is a wondrous succession of high reliefs figuring the dead in groups of three and five statues in which the dead live deified erect seats contrived in niches in order that wayfarers may rest and bless the hospitality of the dead laudatory epitaphs celebrating the dead both the known and the unknown the children of sextus pompeius justus the departed marcus sevilius Quartus, Hilarius foscus rabirius hermodorus without counting the sepulchres venturously ascribed to seneca and the horatii and curiatii and finally there is the most extraordinary and gigantic of all the tombs that known as casale rotondo which is so large that it has been possible to establish a farmhouse and an olive-garden on its substructures which formerly upheld a double rotunda adorned with corinthian pilasters large candelabra and senec masks End of section 9